following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Hi, this is Linnea Quigley, and you're listening to Scream Queen with a C. Either. Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 48, and tonight, the crapshoot returns to take a trip to Poland to take a peek inside what's inside that shrine. Let me tell you, it's not a ceramic bust of Elvis, that's for damn sure. And then, the feature of the week is an independent film called D4. What's D for, you ask? Well, it's for starting words like dog and dildo. Or it might be a little independent horror movie about man versus mutant. We got a whole lot of holiday ho-hos coming your way, so why don't I stop ambling for a little bit, play a promo for one of my fellow podcasts, and book it down, bitches! Woo! Hi, Andy's grandma. We're here to record a new episode of Night of the Living Podcast. Is Andy home? Oh, me so sorry. He no home right now. You follow me. Oh, Andy's room smells kind of weird. Yeah, really strange. He left his computer on over here, too. Hey, guys, why do you think Andy might have this mask of human skin? That's weird. Maybe you guys know why there's this machete in the corner. His computer's just knife enthusiast websites in American apparel. Oh, wait, there's another website here. Palaver.com. Palaver. Okay, Palaver. Whatever, I Palaver. think... Yeah, he's definitely got the serial killer board up right under uh, Night of the Living podcast discussions. Oh, Jesus. Uh, maybe we should get the hell maybe out of here. Maybe we should go. Yeah, I think we should. Hey, guys. You ready to record? <laughs> if you're a fan of horror films, you should check out Night of the Living podcast at notop.com. Part of the Palaver family. Hey everybody, it's holiday time! Ho ho ho! Well, I don't know about you, but this week I have been in a funk. And I don't mean like a kind of a funk. No, I mean just like blue and cranky. And well, I've been cranky pants. Deal with it. It's who I am right now. Love me, love my cranky pants, goddammit! <laughs> anyway, back to reality. Like some of you know, I had my concert this past weekend uh, with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, our Holiday House of Love thing. And there's always a certain kind of um, you know, post-show depression that settles in after a project you worked on ends, you know, you know, good memories, regrets, whatever it might be. And so I'm there, and also, like, I'm, I've just been kind of depressed and kind of run down. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm a, not as high energy as I normally am. And I haven't been sleeping well. And... <laughs> 
This is ridiculous. The reason I haven't been sleeping well is when I'm trying to close my eyes at night, the music from the concert just keeps running through my head. And the problem is, it's gospel music, so a lot of it's circular. There's just, I mean, like, there's just things that just keep repeating. Joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful, joy. Joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful, joy. Joyful, joyful. Joyful, joyful, joy. You get my idea. This goes on for hours and hours in my head. And I'll roll over milk and bread. I'm like, make them stop singing. Shut up! But they don't. So here I am. So you guys have to forgive me. It's been it's been a rough couple of days. But I do want to, I got to get this out to you because it's the holidays. And I love doing this. This makes me feel better. When I'm finished recording this, I'll be able to cha-cha the night away. And I hope I don't do that because that <laughs> Because when I cha-cha, I look like Charo. Now I'm going from depressed to delirious. Let's just move on. Let's get the show moving on. Okay, Okay, great, wonderful. Okay, so I'm kind of bummed out about that. But whatever artistic malaise or ennui, insert whatever word you like, that came up out of my soul in the aftermath of the concert was nothing compared to the travesty that occurred just a few days ago. I'd come home from the gym and I was making myself the most amazing tuna sandwich ever. Normally, I don't take a lot of time with lunch. I cook and everything, but lunch is just like slabs of peanut butter down. I just don't have time. But for some reason, I wanted tuna. And just as I was making it, I just kept getting fancier and fancier. I had to make homemade mayonnaise. We were out, may- we we're out of mayonnaise. And Bradford's like, just make mayonnaise. So I learned how to make mayonnaise to make the sandwich. Shut up. I know it sounds dirty. Patrick made mayonnaise. You want some of Patrick's mayonnaise? Yeah, I know you do, you sluts. But that's not the point right now. So I make this beautiful, beautiful tuna sandwich. You know, so it's got, you know, the solid white albacore tuna. It's on, you know, lightly toasted 12-grain bread. It's got the homemade mayonnaise. It's got organic relish. It's got herbs and spices and flax seeds and, and apple cider vinegar and raisins. And I can't wait to dive into this. I had also made Bradford a peanut butter sandwich because he was hungry as well. Well, he had just mentioned that he was hungry. And I said, oh, I'm going to be the best boyfriend ever. And I'm going to surprise him with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because he doesn't eat fish. Otherwise, I would have made him an awesome tuna fish sandwich. But again, not the point right now. Pay attention. Stay on topic. God. So I had both sandwiches on the two little plates. And I turned around to deliver them to Bradford with such pride and gusto that my tuna sandwich went flying across the room in slow motion and landed right in the cat's water bowl destroyed and it was in slow motion I'm sure I was going before it just landed and swelled up to an enormous size before breaking up and falling apart. Like my hopes and dreams of a better future. It was that good of a sandwich. Bradford's sandwich, of course, was fine. Fuck you! I want to be in a goddamn peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I used up all the peanut butter on his sandwich, so I'm like scraping the bottom. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I had this like teeny, like this <laughs> onion skin layer of scraped up peanut butter on my shitty ass sandwich. And even the cat wouldn't eat the tuna sandwich at this point because they're like, Bleh, apple cider vinegar, Bleh. I'm like, fuck everybody. It was a travesty. But fortunately, I got cheered up because the dark side horror movie meetup group had not one but two 
free advanced screenings this week. First of all, we got to go see on Tuesday night an advanced screening of Hostel 3. Yeah, it's going to come out on DVD soon, but getting to see in the theater, it might be fun. I've been in a horrible mood, as I said, and I'm over the whole torture porn thing. But that night, I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing some people just get the shit beaten out of them. I'd be like, yeah, do that part again. I like that. So we get there. Of course, we have VIP service because we're, we are the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group. So we just get whisked right in. We don't have to wait on no line, bitch, you know, with the hundreds of people out there. And we get in there. We're waiting for it to start. We're waiting for it to start. And this asshole, this was sponsored by Fangoria Magazine. The guy comes out from Fangoria. And he's like, um, so it turns out Fangoria forgot to ship the movie. So we have nothing to show you. Good night, everybody. I'm like, I just bought my popcorn and my giant soda, and they tell me I gotta go home. Fuck you! Fuck you, Fangoria! And I'm thinking, I'm not even one of these bitches who stood online, outside, in the rain, in December, for hours, to come in and get nothing. Fuck you! Evidently, Rich from the Dark Side told me that, Fangoria was deeply apologetic, and everyone who was signed up to attend is getting a free DVD copy of Hostel 3 to own. And I said, okay, I'll accept that apology. However, I'm still going to talk trash about you on the show, and when I get that DVD in the mail, perhaps I will take this episode down and edit this part out. Because I'm not sure, based on this past record, that you're not going to ship me a copy of High School Musical 3. So, because that would be scary, but fuck you. Fuck you sideways. But then on Thursday, last night, we got to go see a screening of the 3D movie, The Darkest Hour. Now, if you haven't heard about this one, it's about these kids that are, you know, in Moscow, these American kids in Moscow, and all of a sudden, aliens invade and, you know, evaporate everybody. So it's a little bit like Nine of the Comet, mixed with Skyline. Most of you will hate this movie. It's not a good movie. I thought it was really silly, and I had a good time. And, you know, the 3D in it, I thought, was really impressive. Um, a lot of the shots were just gorgeous and, you know, just getting to see the Moscow, well, skyline and, and the buildings in 3D and inside the buildings with these huge long hallways, the depths of everything, the depth of everything was very impressive. And plus the alien invasion, when they're coming down, they're just these little wisps, these little wisps of light that are twirling and swirling and they're very pretty. Everyone's looking at them like, oh, we're kind of scared, but they're pretty. Maybe they're angels. They're not angels. But when they're invading, is really, really, really beautiful and eerie because it's like they're filling the theater around you. And I'm like, this is cool. And the initial attack scene is pretty intense. And then after that, it just gets sillier and sillier and sillier and sillier and sillier. And <laughs> I, however, I was happy. Of the four main characters, there's one guy. You think he's going to be the leader of the group, but actually he doesn't know anything about anything. But he's the worst actor. He's the most wooden actor I have ever seen. And I got so tired of listening to him. Every time he opened up his mouth, he's like, I really think we should try to get to the embassy. I think we'll be safe there. Why would the embassy be safe when the rest of the city is completely evaporating? You're an idiot. But the fact that he delivered all of his lines right now, we really should get out of here. I can't stand to see any more people get killed. That when he finally got evaporated, I was like, yes! And then everybody turned around and looked at me and I said, that's right. That's right. So if you're planning on seeing The Darkest Era, it's, it's a matinee. It's better than Skyline, which was a huge piece of shit. So this is a new giant piece of shit. It's not good, but, you know, for the younger folk, it might be fun. And the 3D's good, and I don't think it's going to transfer well to DVD, so that's the, or Blu-ray, which I think will be a sad thing about it. But, you know, well, too bad. However, 
of these two screenings, one of which didn't happen, the other one, the other one which was not great, something good did occur. At the Hostel 3 non-screening, I met a young man sitting in front of me who was sort of with the group and sort of not in the group. And we got to talking about movies and such. And we, particularly the movie Thanks Killing. The girl next to me is like, oh my God, you should never watch that movie. It's the worst thing ever. And I said, I disagree. I heartily disagree. It's genius. And I explained to him how it was the best piece of camp I've ever seen. I'm like, you know, you know, she's like, it's so stupid that nobody, it's about a turkey and nobody realizes it's a turkey. Like it's wearing somebody's face and everyone's like, oh, hi, sir. How you doing? I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. You don't understand. The chicken hitchhikes wearing a wig and this guy in the car is like, hey, beautiful. How you doing? Just because it's wearing a wig or a set of groucher glasses, nobody realizes it's a turkey. That's hilarious. He's like, you know what? This sounds like the best movie ever. And the more I talk to him about my horror movie sensibility, the more I realize I was talking to a future scream queen. And for making my night, guy who sat in front of me, whose name I don't know, what the hell? You are the scream queen of the week or of the future. Hooray! 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 I said hooray! Now I know you're not listening to the show yet, so I know you're really excited about winning this title, and you'll be even more excited when you discover that you get a tiara. But you don't get the tiara. You can have the tiara when you rip it off my dead clammy head, bitch ass. Not gonna happen. You got no tiara, got no tiara, because you were on the welfare. You didn't see the hostel. You'll get a DVD, maybe, but no tiara. I'll stop now. Congratulations, sir. Get on with your life. Um, so Bradford and I got to go to the theater. You might be surprised that I'm even talking about this at all. Yeah, yeah, I know I talk about theater on here a lot, but this was a tiny little production of a, uh, put on by a company called Rep Alliance. Rep Alliance, like repertory and alliance, smushed together. And the show is called The Eight, colon, The Reindeer Monologues. And it is just what it sounds like. It's eight monologues by each of Santa's reindeer. And you might think, oh, God, this sounds really stupid and cutesy and barfy and Christmassy. This is the darkest fucking piece of theater I have seen in a long time. Really dark, really twisted, but really, really funny. The neat thing, too, we got to this place, and it's a bar. And I figured, oh, maybe there's a space under the bar where they're performing. No, they're performing in the bar. So you're just sitting around certain, you know, places on the bar and certain tables in the restaurant that you'd just be sitting next to a reindeer waiting his turn to talk. And Bradford's all like, hey, baby, what you doing? I'm like, shh, it's a reindeer. He's like, so? I'm like, all right, you're from the South. I forgot. Sorry. Rather than seeing it on a, like a proscenium stage was that detachment, but having that connection with them was really, really cool. But I digress because what made the show so dark and twisted, Patrick? Well, because during the course of it, in dribs and drabs and back and forth, he discovered that Santa's pretty he's 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 a bad man there's a there's allegations of rape of a reindeer of sexual abuse and you know elf abuse and 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 rudolph is turns out he's deformed and retarded and is so scarred by whatever scandal happened that he's been he's been locked in a padded stall ever since just muttering quietly to himself about mistletoe and penises over and over and over and over. And uh, it, it's a really cute show. It's a really dark show. It's a really funny show. And um, something that made me really happy with this cast too is that, and the direction, is that in a situation like this where it's eight people who each take turns talking one at a time for a long period of time, if you've got one link in the chain that's weak, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes of your show is like, kill me, 
Mikey, help me, help me. But all eight performers here were really very, very strong and very unified. You can feel the ensemble in the ensemble. And I love that in an ensemble. And that might seem repetitive, but it's really not. Nothing worse than an ensemble that's not actually working together. That's a real drag. And being a bar, this wasn't exactly the perfect working scenario. I mean, some of the people had gotten drunk and rowdy, and sometimes I wasn't even sure if some of the people were there for the show or if they were just there to come in and drink. So there was yelling back and some rowdiness, but you know, every single one of them, trooper. And supporting each other through the rough spots. Love that. Really, really like the entire cast, particularly the standouts for me were an actor named Christopher Knofke, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who played Cupid, who's the gay reindeer. The really, really gay reindeer. The really, really, really gay reindeer. And the other standout was uh, the guy who played Comet, an actor named Tyler Holden. Now, Comet, he's badass. He's all leather clad. You know, he came from a bad background. He used to run with gangs. And he's tough. He used to do drugs and rob stores. And, you know, back in the day, he would have rolled your ass. Comet would put your ass in that dumpster, just stomp on you with his dainty little Satan hooves. But now, until, until he met Santa, and he reformed him. And so he's got the opposite side of the argument. No, Santa's great. He does wonderful things. So you're getting this back and forth. Santa's bad. Santa's good. Santa's bad. Santa's good. And it's not until the end until you find out what really happened. But what made these two actors really stand out, aside from both being very cute, uh, <laughs> naughty boy, Patrick, but they really took advantage of this environment that they were in. Like I said, this is in a pub. And they, these two were not afraid to make eye contact and hold eye contact with people, you know, they'd come up to you and they look you straight in the eyes and they talk to you for a whole sentence or two. And you'd be like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Rather than feeling like an audience member, you felt like they were having a conversation with you. Now, you non-actors out there, you might be like, big deal, but trust me, it's not as easy as it sounds. It takes some bravery to be able to do that. It's a very intimate thing to do with a total stranger. Trust me, says the huge slut. Shut up, God, leave me alone. I'm trying to talk about Christmas. Some of the other people, while they were good, if they made eye contact at all, it was fleeting, and then they look away kind of scared. And I get that, too. But these two were not afraid. So they're, these are some ballsy reindeer. Butch reindeer, butch reindeer, queen reindeer. Both ballsy. You got balls. Anyway, the eight reindeer monologues. I liked it. It's unfortunately close. Well, you know, obviously, because it's the holidays, and it's over. So why am I even talking about it at all, you're asking? Well, I'm going to tell you, because there was just so much raping. I know how much you guys like that. You know, based on your responses to my Chillerama review, that movie was all about the raping. Apparently, kids can't get enough of the raping, and this had all kinds of raping going on. Even Mrs. Claus wasn't clean. Mrs. Claus showed up at the Christmas party wearing an elf strapped in front of her vagina. A screaming elf, by the way. This elf was screaming for its life, and that is the kind of details that I know you guys love. Sick bastards. The other thing that I found out that was cool when I was talking to Tyler after the show, he's starting a web series, and some of you might be interested in it. There's only one episode up right now, and it's a little rough, but I think it's got potential. It's called Supers, and it's about this group of ragtag superheroes that finally realize, hey, we should we should get together and form a team one on Halloween night. And if you want to check it out, it's again called Supers, and you can find it at HalloweenTeam.tv. And that's Team T-E-A-M. You know what, guys? I've been talking for quite a bit. Um, I'm still really tired. I'm not going to get any less tired. So I really need to get the show going because you know, there's fun stuff ahead, believe it or not. My lack of energy and my overwhelming blues over the loss of my tuna sandwich, notwithstanding, allying the death of Christa Berg. How's that? How's that? Oh, well. But, you know, 
everyone's like, oh, I just love that song. Lady in red is dancing with me. And I've been hearing it at every radio station until I want to barf because I never liked that song. However, we're going to just kick the show off with Christopher's other song that everybody seems to forget about. His slice of awesomeness, Don't Pay the Ferryman. Take your own advice, Chris. Wait till we get to the other side. Down through your pampers, bitch asses. It's time for the crap shoot. <laughs> Paul. 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 Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, maybe I picked you up at Harhound Weekend in Cincinnati as a listener or otherwise. The crapshoot is the segment of the program where I dive headlong into the vast sea of direct-to-DVD horror movie releases in search of that diamond in the shit pile. And our selection this week is a thriller from 2010 called The Shrine, and it's brought to you by the same cool and crazy talented people who brought to you Jack Brooks' Monster Slayer. Does The Shrine hold up? Well, we'll find out right after we listen to the trailer. Young man goes backpacking across Europe, goes missing. Happens all the time. It's a dead case. We're looking for a young man. Have you seen him? Yeah. Get your hands up. Hey! Go! They're hiding something up there in that forest. And I want to find out what it is. Please, Marcus, I need this. How's it not moving? Now, before I get into any real detail about the movie, I just want to say it's being really misrepresented. Every description that I've read of it, even on Netflix and other things, it says that it's inspired by Hostel. And aside from the fact that it takes place in Eastern Europe and involves people looking for missing backpackers, I don't really see the connection. So, if you're expecting torture porn, you're not going to get it here. There's a little bit of something like that, but that's not what the movie's about. That's, that's, I'll get into that later. Anyway, The Shrine from 2009 is the story of this, this woman who was a reporter. She keeps getting assigned crapo cases. You know, she wants to be the big, you know, headline writing person, but she just can't get there. I don't know, because she's a woman or maybe because she's really fucking annoying. We'll come back to that. And she's got this lead on this story about this uh, young teenage backpacker who disappeared in Europe, uh, in Eastern Europe, in this specific area 
of Eastern Europe and Poland. And then several months later, his suitcase shows up at some random airport somewhere else in Europe, a place that was never on his itinerary or had any indication that he had any interest in going to. And when she does her research, she says that over the last 50 years, there's been tons of these, that dis, uh, tons of these hikers or, or travelers or whoever who disappear in this area. And then a certain amount of time later, poof, their luggage shows up at some completely random location, nowhere near where they disappeared from, nowhere that they intended to travel to. So this is perking her interest much more than the story that her editor wants her to take about like missing bees in Iowa. So she decides she's going to pretend to go to Iowa, but instead just go to Poland. And she takes with her her assistant, her wide-eyed, innocent assistant, who's so cute and has this little teeny tiny girly voice and is so sweet and is so innocent that you know something really awful is going to happen to her. And her boyfriend, who is a photographer, or should I say her ex-boyfriend, because right at the beginning of this film, you get the tone for the character, this female character, whose name I don't remember. Reporter chick. We'll We'll call her reporter chick. Because, you know, she there's a scene with her and her boyfriend, and he's just like, could you just not talk about work for five minutes? I come over all the time, and all you do is talk about work. I feel like I have to fight for attention. She's just like, well, blah, 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 work, 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 work. If you don't support me in my career, blah, 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 blah. And she's a real bitch about it. And he's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm going home. However, she needs a photographer for this. And he's the guy to go. He's the best in the business. So despite their romantic fallout... The three of them are going on a caravanserai to Poland in search of this missing hiker. You might say it sounds like I've got a negative tone about this movie already just because I said this lead character is such a bitch. I'm like, but it's kind of the point that she's a bitch because you know what kind of movie this is? It's a this one bitch movie. This one bitch. She fucked up. Everybody else has got to die because of this stupid bitch and we hate her very much. I got nothing else but an iPod Touch, which I don't actually, so I don't know why I said that. That's a lie. I take that back. Anyway, they follow this kid's trail to this teeny tiny town in the woods of Poland. And of course, nobody there speaks English. Nobody wants to talk to them. They try to talk to some little girl who speaks a little English, and immediately her father comes out like, And is trying to tell them some shit, but of course, they don't speak English. Now, some of the other reviews, uh, you know, uh, general public IMDb or Netflix reviews or, or more professional reviews complain about the fact that a lot of the movie is in Polish with no subtitles. I thought that the Polish stuff went on a bit long, but on the other hand, it adds to the paranoia of the whole thing because you don't know what people are trying to tell you or what they're talking about in front of you, and it's very frustrating for the characters. It's very frustrating for the watcher. But anyway, this kid's last journal entry said that he was sleeping in a barn somewhere in this town, and it mentioned this weird cloud over the forest that never seemed to move. And so they find a barn and they're, they're like, oh, this must be it. This describes everything. You know, he described everything and blah, blah, blah. And they look out the window and one of the girls is like, and look at that. There's this cloud of black fog hanging over that particular part of the forest and it's not moving at all. It's windy out, but that fog's not moving. Well, let's go investigate. So they go and investigate. They find the air at the bank of fog, and it is like a wall. It's just standing there, and it's very ominous and creepy. And the insistent girl's like, well, I'm going in. She goes inside, whoosh, disappears. Like, all of a sudden, whoosh, they can't hear her. She can't hear them. They can't see her. She's gone. The reporter chick goes in. Same thing happens. She's gone. The smart boyfriend guy, who this whole time is like, we really should go home. We're really not wanted here. And by the way, you didn't tell your editor 
Yeah, she didn't tell the editor that she was going to Poland. She never told these two that the trip wasn't approved by the editor. So everybody, they're in serious ass trouble now, and nobody knows where they are. And if they get out of it, they're going to get fired, or killed, or both, because of this one bitch. So now the two girls are lost in the fog, and we're following reporter chick, and it's all swirly fog and weird noises, and all of a sudden there appears the statue of a demon thing, gargoyly thing, holding a beating heart, and the heart starts to beat, and the head turns to look at her, and she runs, and she comes out of the fog, and everything seems okay, except now everybody in the village is hunting them, because they have seen things not meant for their eyes, for in these woods there is a deadly, deadly secret. <laughs> now what goes on after this, I'm not going to tell you because there are a lot of surprises along the way. And even though this is a slow start and a really unlikable lead character, I enjoyed the hell out of this. You know, I was getting turned off because there's a scene... Well, I'm going, and here's a torch porn. God damn it. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? But then afterwards, when you figure it all out, you're like, oh, oh, oh. And that's a good feeling to have, you know, even though it just sounded like I was taking a poop. Never mind. I'm taking that part out. That's just gross. Anyway, I really enjoyed the shrine. Um, it's a slow burn. It needs to be a slow burn for full effect and the guy who played the photographer boyfriend I kept looking at him going why do I know this handsome man why do I know this handsome man he's so familiar why do I know him why am I talking like that well I'll tell you why I know him it's Aaron Ashmore the guy who's been playing the gay warehouse 13 agent on warehouse 13 and who I've been obsessing over every time I've talked about the show yeah it's him and he's Mr. Voice of Authority Mr. Voice of Reason that nobody listens to therefore everybody dies because of this one bitch also in the cast is Trevor Matthews who played uh, Jack Brooks in Jack Brooks Monster Slayer and he's blonde here and he's goateed he plays the Polish father of that girl who came out and yelled at them and tried to keep them away he's hot he was working, you know, digging shit up in the, in the yard, and he had his shirt off, and I'm like, Hello, I would like to see your Posca Kielbasa, please. But that's besides the point. The Shrine, I recommend it. Even though it's a, this one bitch movie, even though it borders on torture porn, even though half the movie's in Polish, I got a big kick out of it. Well, I don't know about you, but all this talk about Poland and, and hot Polish men and things like that, well, it's just made me hungry. So, who wants to help stuff my pierogi? So, kiddies, the main feature for this episode is an independent film called D4, D is in David, numeral 4, and it's from a company called Ghostwater Films. D4 was actually one of the movies that was featured at Harhound Weekend in Cincinnati, but you know what? I chose not to include it in the Harhound Weekend episode. Why, Patrick? Why? Why would you make such a wild exclusion? Well, you're gonna find out. Right after the trail. Yeah. It's a simple search and rescue. Missing kid. I do appreciate you meeting me. The 
general assures me that you are the best of the best. My son is being held in a secret government facility, and I'd like to hire you to put together a team of men to go get him. Morning, boys. I requested you for a reason. Have you heard of Team Guys, I think I found some of the wildlife. There's nothing left. The thing ate them all. What thing? <laughs> that thing is coming this way. Take the shot, Snipe. Nice shot. You gotta be kidding me. We don't hide. You better try. I did not include this in the Horror Hound Weekend episode last time was because I didn't actually see it there. It was on the schedule. It was, I think, at 1 o'clock on Saturday, and it just didn't happen. Um, and I'd seen the trailer, and I'm like, eh, I'm not sure if this movie's for me. But then afterwards, I ran into world-famous author Robert R. Best, and he said, you know what? That was pretty good. It had a really good script. And I said, all right, Robert R. Best, I'm going to take you at your word because I know where you live. And if this movie sucks, I'm going to kick your ass. So is Robert Arbest lying in a ditch somewhere? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. Now, in the trailer, the question is posed. Have you ever heard of D4? And I don't believe audibly you get an answer of what D4 actually is. So why don't we go through some of my smart-ass responses that ran through my head when I first saw the title on the schedule? I'm like, well, being raised Catholic, the first thing I thought was D4. Bingo! But, of course, there is no D column in Bingo because it would be Dingo and then somebody's baby would get eaten. And that's a whole other movie. It's a whole other thing. And then I thought, let's see, uh, D4 could be a bug killer or, or a household cleaner. That would be fun. Or D4, you sunk my battleship. And Joey Boohucker from the Cocktails and Creep Puffs podcast, this one's for you. D for the parade passes by. I'm sorry we are a gay podcast. We do got to do a little Barbara every now and then. But no, D4 is actually a secret government facility that's supposedly been closed down for the past 30, 40 years or so. And turns out it's not. Now, just as a sidebar before I get into the main story, as uh, the main characters are traveling to D4 to go off on this mission, which I'll tell you about in a bit. They pass a protest group, you know, uh, on the outskirts of the forest, protesting, demanding that D4 be open. Because if there's nothing there, why are these gates still up? Why are they locked? And the big theory is that D4 is a Bigfoot factory. A Bigfoot breeding ground. A nursery for the big feats. And as soon as they said that, mentally in my head, I saw Kelly from Night of the Living Podcast, getting a boner. And then I had to rub some D4, you know, scouring bleach on my brain to make it go away. Not that I don't love you, Kelly, but ooh. 
Now, the reason I saw Kelly getting a boner this time is because Kelly loves Bigfoot. He's a Bigfoot enthusiast. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if there was a Bigfoot factory somewhere, Kelly would be there. That would be his Disneyland. And maybe this is a Bigfoot factory. Well, actually, it's not. Well, now that I think of it, maybe it kind of is. Maybe it's a new breed of Bigfoot, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, the reason I, I was turned off by this movie uh, initially, just by the, um, the trailer, it's got a very military theme. It felt like Predator, and I'm thinking low-budget Predator. That's going to be bleh. I don't think I really need to see that, you know? But I got to tell you something, kids. D4 is a fantastic little movie. Robert R. Best was right. I was impressed. Now, uh, it's made for a minuscule budget. I was just looking up some of the information on it. I think it was made for 35000 And it looks like a million bucks. The cinematography is great. The, the look is great. The sound is great. The music is great. The actors are great. The script is really, really good. The only caveat I had with it is that there's a little bit of CGI effects, and they're not great. They're not even remotely great. But, you know, since everything else is so fucking good and you were working on a tight budget, I don't care because the story was strong enough. That's so some of the CGI blood looks stupid. Did it get in my way of enjoying the movie? No. If it gets in your way of enjoying the movie, go fuck yourself sideways. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. But anyway, uh, the story of D4 centers on this group of, um, I, I guess, mercenaries would be the term that would be described the best, uh, who have been hired for a huge sum of money to, well, well, for what's supposed to be a basic search and rescue. This very famous, extremely rich woman has hired them to find her missing son he got mixed up in drugs and he disappeared her main concern is that he's epileptic and he needs his medication he's got, he's got very serious epilepsy and she tips them off that he's a d4 and they're like what are you talking about that place has been closed and she's like nah. now i don't know if this was intentional or not but this very rich very famous woman who's got enough money to buy this crack team of professionals for an enormous sum of money. She was given off a serious Bachman vibe for me. A serious Michelle Bachman vibe. So I didn't trust anything that was coming out of her mouth. And whether that was intentional or not, it all worked. I think a great new way to make horror movies even scarier is to put Michelle Bachman references in it. That's just me. That's just me. That's my political slant. So D4 is as complex. It's hidden deep in the woods somewhere. And they go in expecting for this quick and easy rescue situation is supposed to pluck this kid out of this test medical facility but it isn't long before the mission becomes a fight for survival when one of the inhabitants of d4 is really not happy that they're there at all so that sounds like a pretty basic story patrick what makes this so special well i'm going to tell you what makes this movie special first of all it's the way it's told yeah the story's not exactly new sure it's kind of you know, you know military types science run amok fight for survival in the woods we've seen it before but what makes this really exceptional is that it's not told sequentially. And that keeps you guessing, you know, it keeps moving back and forth in time and also between two different storylines. There's also a story about an older man, um, his, grand his grandfather, who's looking for his missing grandson, who is supposedly also in D4. And these two storylines are converging, and, and it just makes things that much more tense because both of these stories are very engaging on their own. And by breaking them up and mixing them together, it just works. Trust me. If it had gone in a linear fashion, I'm not sure if it would have been as interesting a movie. But wisely, they, they didn't go that way. So, ha! On you. 
The thing that really made this movie stand out for me is that one of the reasons I did not want to go see it is because it is a low-budget movie about military people. Now, I've seen enough, you know, direct-to-DVD, shot-on-video zombie movies that are populated with an army of, you know, <laughs> people who don't know how to hold their guns and, like, clearly have never been through any military training who just look like they're playing dress-up or like it's Halloween and they're playing, you know, being a soldier for Halloween rather than convincing me that they're a soldier. This whole cast looks... Like, they could kick my ass. Well, not that my ass is particularly hard to kick, but I don't have to stretch my disbelief to believe that these people are who you're telling me that they are. And that goes a long way in a movie of this budget. So right away, I'm on board. And all the acting is really good. Uh, I was particularly fond of Jeff Heim, who plays Cutter. He's one of the comic... Well, he's the closest thing to a comic sidekick in this. Not that there's, like, a lot of bump bump in it, but, you know, this... <laughs> well, he is, as he says, pigmentally challenged. Which means he's really, 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 really pale. And there's lots of jokes and humor about that. And I can just identify with that. Being a little light on the melanin myself. And I was like, rock on, Cutter. I know your pain. And, and plus he's kind of cute. No, he's really cute. But anyway. So we go in looking for this, this, this missing epileptic, well, two missing epileptic kids. And instead, they run into this, well, they keep calling it a monster. And they keep calling it it. And I'm going to have to go with that. It's, it's not exactly what you think of when you think of a monster because it's, it's a man. It's a really, really big man. Huge bodybuilding man. Like 19 feet tall and 68 feet wide. And it's all muscle. I don't see any body fat on this man at all. And he's really fucking crazy. He's got black eyes and a fucked up face and, you know, fangy things. And he's not happy that they're there. And he'll tear you apart and beat you to death with your own leg. He's that kind of a guy. And also, for some reason, bullets don't seem to be stopping him. And once they encounter this monster of a man and this actor, I, just, I looked at him and I said, I really hope he's a nice guy. In real life, because I would be terrified in his presence that he'd, you know, he'd sneeze and like my my head would blow off just from the sheer force of his diaphragm. Well, not his diaphragm. You know what I meant. Stop making things dirty. God. But as soon as they encounter this monster of a man, the action is fast and it's furious and it doesn't stop. And the other thing that was great here is that the fight choreography and the stunt work is excellent. Yeah, because I'm a stickler for that. If I see some fake punches that look fake, I get pissed off. If I see, you know, like sloppy choreography, I get angry. But this all looked tight. I believed all of it, and it was nail-biting excitement. And I can't tell you much more about the movie. It's got its twists and its turns and a lot of surprises, and I don't want to ruin it because you need to see this movie. I'm even going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say this is a buy. I picked it up at Harhan Weekend for $10. I met the director and star, Darren Dickerson, who, by the way, is not hard on the eyes either. I said hard on, ah, but not the point right now. But I met him, he autographed my copy, and I'm telling him, yeah, I've got this podcast, and I'm going to review it, and it'll be great, and we're smiling. And I'm thinking, God, I hope I like this movie, because this, this is another muscle man who could break me in half over his knee, and not in an erotic sort of way. Shut up! What is the matter with you people? But I'm happy to say... And Robert Arbest will be happy to hear. I really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. This is one of my favorite independent films that I have seen this year. Now, I've been talking to Darren on Facebook, and he's saying they're having to push on sales. They're trying to sell as many copies as they can before the end of the year, and it's still $10. 
for ten dollars, this is a buy. This will make a great stocking stuffer for you know your 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 big horror action fan in your life, or just for yourself. Go stuff your own stocking with this movie. Support independent cinema. Support excellent independent cinema, and um, head on over to ghostwater.com and get your copy of D4 for just ten dollars. And also, I was talking to Darren. He said if you order before the end of the year and you buy more than one, if you buy multiple things at their store, you also get a free T-shirt. No, I sound like I'm a I'm a whore for the company, but I'm not. I'm <laughs> I'm just a whore. Shut up. So head on over there, order something, drop him an email, tell him you heard it here. Because what says happy holidays more than a man in a uniform? Time with my girl, I spent it well. I had to be strong for my woman. You must be joking, oh man, you must be joking. She needed to be protected. away on this movie because it's really good and I don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But every time I bring this film up, some somebody's always like, oh, that's the one with Santa Claus, Naked Santa Claus. And yes, there are Naked Santa Claus in the movie, but wow. it's necessary to the director's naked. vision. Okay. And you really don't dwell on that. It's um, oh, forget it. I'm out. full of action and horror and you get that feeling watching it. It has that classic Christmas movie feeling too where the, you know, in the Christmas spirit just Curls its way into your dark black soul. When, while and then, um, it, if you get the Blu-ray, it's got some great special features. It's got two short films that came out a few years ago uh-huh. that inspired the actual full-length feature to be made. And they're great. I mean, sometimes I blow off extra features, and this is probably one of the best, best Blu-rays I've picked up in a long time. Well, that's good. Yeah. Okay, the other movie is... Yes. Um, a Christmas short on YouTube, and um, it's it's made by the director of Hobo with a Shotgun. It's called okay, Revenge. So it's been around for a few Sweet. years also, but it, you can get it in two parts or one part. I think it's about 17 minutes long, but it's well worth the watch. It's a kind of a 70s exploitation Christmas film where well, Christmas trees strike back. Uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, I'm gonna let you go. You keep up the great work at Scream Queens, and I'll keep on listening. Bye. Hogan, thank you for calling in with those tips, since I uh, obviously didn't cover anything holiday-related at all. Bah humbug. It wasn't actually really intentional. I guess I'm just holidayed out from it being Christmas every Monday since September.
you know, rehearsing for the concert. Anyway, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse, Patrick. But rare, ha- bleh, rare exports. I have heard nothing but excellent things about. I this is another movie. I had an opportunity to go to a free screening of it last year, and I couldn't go for whatever reason. And all the reports were great. And it's been on my Netflix queue, and I forgot it was there. So I'm bumping it up. Bump it up. Yeah, you can't. I don't remember how that song goes, but shut up. But Rare Exports and Naked Santa, who doesn't love that? Well, actually, that kind of ties in with that whole play that Mr. Bradford and I went to see that I was talking about earlier. You know, Santa apparently is this whole big animal molesting pervert rapist. So damn right should he be naked. Damn right should he be naked. Was what I... It's midnight, and I'm very tired, and I'm trying to work against the deadline, so I'm getting a little sketchy, kids, but... Uh, oh, Treevenge! You did talk about another movie, and I talked over you when you said the name of the title. It is Treevenge, ladies and gentlemen. I have not seen it yet, um, but uh, uh, with, with that concept, what can I not love? I remember there was an SNL skit like that years ago. With uh, Candace Bergen, I remember Gilda Radner was in it, and just people getting all of a sudden at a Christmas party, all of a sudden, boink, they'd be impaled with a Christmas tree branch. But I'm sure this is better than that. Hogan actually got this call in last week, uh, but he just missed the cutoff for when I started producing and editing and everything. So hopefully it's still time for you to get your ho-hos out of these movies, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you, Hogan. Thank you for jingling my balls. Uh, bells. Whatever. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Okay, it's Joe and Cynthia again. Hello, Joe and Cynthia again. I had a call back. Anyway, and the last thing about Whorehound was probably my most excited thing, uh, what excited me the most about the whole weekend, uh, I mean you, Patrick, was me, Noah Hathaway, who was the uh, little kid that was in the original Battlestar Galactica that had that little robotic uh, Cylonic dog that was running around everywhere that was coming. Uh-huh, who grew up really um, cute. Yeah, not so the dog. excited that there was a Battlestar Galactica contingent or something represented there. Um, I didn't know much of his other movies, uh, like The NeverEnding Story and Troll and whatever. What? But um, he was fucking hot. Ah. And the um, most exciting thing was getting my autograph so that I could have a picture taken with him so I could touch him because he was so fucking hot. So you should have stuck around, Joe. Very nice so, I, you know, I got a little touchy-feely, and I was happy. So that's the end of that. Now, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, you recently um, you have put up uh, some radio shows yes. on the podcast, which I actually really appreciate. I really enjoy it. Oh, good. Um, it, I love listening to these old radio shows, in which I've done it, done it like all my life. I, I very very much enjoy doing it. Just kind of like sitting there imagining, you know, what's going on uh-huh. in my mind. You know, hearing. That's the idea. You know, the radio show. It's kind of like making a, my, my own play in my own mind. And exactly. I, I really enjoy doing that. Um, you had, uh, a couple months ago, you had Suspense. Yeah, two And um, I don't think I actually heard that particular one before, but then you uh, suggested or were saying something about a witch's tale mm-hmm. uh, program that you had on, which I've, I've collected some of those recordings. I was actually able to listen to the one that you said was uh, kind of... Uh, Racist and whatnot. Kind of, um, yeah. Something about the monkey's paw or, no, or, or something like fingers that. Fingers and a thumb. Uh, so I actually took a listen to it, and yeah, it was pretty racist. But oh, yeah. I kind of almost remember listening to that when I was a younger kid. Of like, actually, it was probably one of the most scariest radio shows I'd ever listened to. And I yeah, really it's a scary story, liked it, but which it's is, good plan. Um, 
program or that Witch's Tale program a lot because I, I thought that was one of the more kind of scary or serious ones uh, that I ever listened to. Um, also, I just listened to the last podcast where you had um, Turn the Lights Out with uh, had the organ- Agnes, uh, Agnes Moorhead episode, yeah, that was which I've actually listened to before as well, mm-hmm, it's a uh, and I really enjoyed that episode. So I just want to thank you for kind of bringing that back, and I love, you know, kind of like, podcasting coming in and actually kind of being able to kind of bring in that whole kind of thing back of yeah. where, you know, being able to listen to it, but not having to focus on it visually so that you're able to kind of, you know, put together in your mind what's going on, uh, which, which can be fun. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, kind of basically it. And I hope that you do bring back more radio shows like that um, on your pack- podcast in the future. So I just want to thank you for that. And, that's all I had, and I will uh, talk to you later. Thank you, okay, Joe. So for those of you who were confused when Joe said, oh, it's Joe again, um, he had called. He had left two calls for me last week, and since we were running long with all the Harhound weekend coverage and we had already 45 minutes worth of voicemail, I decided to bump this one, uh, the second call this week, and I told him I was going to do that, so all is cool and all is well. And uh, yeah, this was a great call, Joe. Um... See, this is why you should have hung out at the hotel, Joe, and not gone running off downtown to the bars, Joe, because in the hotel itself was an indoor water park that was a separate admission charge, and uh, for $10, they were closing the place down on Saturday night, and we would have the place for ourselves, and there's, you know, be a private party for Hardhound Weekend folks who wanted to go, and so I had already bought tickets for that because I figured that it should be good, and plus, you know, people in bathing suits are always fun. And, but Joe and, and Frank, his partner, had said, oh, you know, we're going to go out to the bars. Do you want to go? So I was torn and I'm torn and I'm torn. But had you gone, you would have got to see Noah Hathaway in his teeny tiny little bathing suit, all wet and rippling. And then after one, later on, you would have seen him drunk and hula hooping in the same, you know, teeny tiny bathing suit. Not quite as wet, but well, different kind of wet. And I'm sorry, I don't make you, I don't mean to make me feel bad about not going to the party, because I know you're going through enough right now, but um, let's just say I didn't have as much of an appreciation for Noah Hathaway before the pool party as I did afterwards, because hello. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad you've been enjoying the radio shows. Uh, that record that I had, actually, was the that first episode I played was uh, Murder, uh, Murder Castle was from Lights Out. The record I had as a kid had the... Lights Out story on one side, and on the flip side was the witch's hat. The really racist one with the, oh God, the Chinese, the Japanese jokes were just so embarrassing. Oh, the Japanese character, he talked like this, Mr. Sari. I'm so sorry. And I just kept calling him the gook all the time. It was really bad. The witch's hat was actually my mom's favorite show. She just scared me with stories when I was a kid, just telling me about the radio show. And that's actually why she bought me the record, because she wanted to play that episode for me. I'm, that was a really long sentence. I just totally robbed our best of you guys by my gigantic run-on sentence. And you did mention, Joe, that podcasting is kind of like bringing back the golden age of radio. And you might know, Joe, that people are doing just that. There's a whole lot of uh, podcasts that are doing original material, you know, either serial format or, you know, one-off stories. Uh, really, really good stuff. Um, so you might want to check out 19 Nocturne Boulevard, who, which is run by this uh, woman named Julie, who is incredibly talented and 
they always have great stories and they're very well acted. And uh, that's more like the traditional one-off, like kind of like Lights Out and all those other ones where it would just be one individual story. But uh, there's another show. It's a zombie-related podcast called We're Alive. I don't listen to it, but everyone who listens to it says it's amazing. So, Joe, start listening to it. Let me know how amazing it is and if I should add it to my list. Um, I have a special message for you, Joe, after the show's over. Well, for everybody, but it involves Joe. Um, so stick around after the closing theme song. Okay? Okay. Talk to you soon, baby. Hey, Patrick. What's up? This is Slug, host of the Slugcast. Hey, Mr. Slug. I just Slug. to call and say it was awesome seeing you and Mr. Brad at Horrorhound. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, Same here. However fleeting it was. We, we were barely in, saw we were each out. other, but uh, it was cool saying hey and getting hugs and whatnot. So, mm. um, anyway, yeah, I'm currently in the middle of your Horror Hound Weekend coverage episode. Yes. And I don't know why. Actually, I do know why, because it's fucking catchy, right? But uh, there's a little song stuck in my head right now. Oh, no. I got boob cancer. I got boob cancer. <laughs> okay. Stuck in my head, but oh. I'm not upset about it. Don't be. That is awesome that, that your friend did that. And... Um, you and I, we've talked before about, you know, our, our histories with cancer and all that. Yeah. Um, cancer sucks. And I'm, I would just like to extend to her uh, all my good thoughts as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that she is dealing with it the way that she's dealing with it. So, yeah, um, yeah that, that song is going to be stuck in my head for a while. And I, I think that she did a great, great thing for, uh, for herself, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Anybody, if you, you know, if you know of somebody who has cancer or has dealt with cancer in any way, um, show them that video. <laughs> yeah. That that song will be stuck in their head, and they can, you know, hopefully deal with it in a better way than you know what some people have dealt with it. So. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, that took a sad turn. I apologize. No, it did take a sad but, turn. But uh, anyway, too. loving the show as always. Thank and you. And can't wait for the next one as always. So, as always, this has been Slug, host of the Slugcast. As always. And, uh, yeah, my name is Slug, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a straight Scream Queen, but I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you. <laughs> Stole it. Sorry. Bye. Excuse me, bitch. You d- I- and so am I. I am not a straight scream queen, bitch. There is no such thing as a straight scream queen. There's no such thing as a gay scream queen. A scream queen just is. I just made that up right now, and that's is with a Z! <laughs> okay. I'm very glad you enjoyed Michelle's song. If you don't know what I'm talking about, a friend of mine, uh, Michelle, was diagnosed with breast cancer around Thanksgiving, and her reaction to it was to make a video. She wrote a song about it, she played a pink ukulele, and she wrote the catchiest little boob cancer song ever. She got national attention for it. She's been written up in all kinds of magazines. Cancer organizations have been, you know, asking her to come and speak, and good for her. And it was you're right, it was a great way to deal with it. And um, she actually just found out that um, she's gone from stage two to stage one, and she hasn't been showing any signs of anything else. So they might have had a kick by now, so she doesn't have to go into chemo. So that's great. And she's like, oh, no. Well, I'm, I'm kind of sad I went into remission so quickly because I was going to write another song. I'm like, just shut the fuck up. You're showing off now, bitch. Bitch ass.
that I love more than anything. Um, and if you guys don't want to know, if you haven't, if you didn't see the video or hear the song last week, uh, just Google "I Got Boob Cancer" video, and hopefully that'll take you to the girl with the pink ukulele. And also, Slug, it was great to see you and everything. And I'm glad you called just about this time because otherwise I would have forgotten completely that you recorded a bumper of Linnea Quigley for me, for the show. And when you called in, I'm like, oh shit, I forgot all about that and I never played it and I was gonna... And so I just mixed it up cool so it was at the beginning of the show and I hope you liked it. And thank you so much for that. You are cool. Like you, Brenner. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. Hey, hey. I was just calling in because I rented a really, actually a pretty good horror movie last night. I want to call what? in and recommend. Um, oh, boy. It's called Grave Encounters. Ah, um, yes, And basically yes, yes. the plot is, is really standard. It's a found footage movie about mm-hmm. a TV show where they go to haunted locations and, you know, and film it. And so the whole movie is just the footage of when they go to an asylum and the shit hits a fan. And when I rented it, honestly, my expectations were pretty low. It's, it's mm-hmm. that concept's becoming done to death, but I figured, what the hell. And I was surprised at how creepy and effective it was and a little bit unconventional. Um, mm. Like I said, it, it, it doesn't take long to get going. Um, stuff starts happening pretty soon, so it's not very boring. And okay, the thing I liked about it the most was at the half, halfway point, something happens to the characters. I don't want to give away, but something happens in the situation they're in. changes just a little bit, but it... Okay. For me, it became a much more surreal, nightmarish movie than I was expecting. Um, and it leaned a little more towards the subtle scares than just really bad CGI ghosts popping up every 10 minutes. Well, hey, there is some really my favorite. rotten CG in the movie, but it's not a lot. Oh. I mean, it really does focus more on just the creepiness of being in a asylum after dark where you're trapped, you can't get out, and some really surreal, fucked up shit's going on. So it mm. did a lot with the sound and... and kept it pretty low-key on the CGI. So I like that. The characters weren't obnoxious. They weren't likable, or they weren't, but they oh, weren't okay. hateful either. So, and they reacted like the way real people would. So I appreciate the fact that when shit starts going down, they want to get out of there. They're not looking to make a buck. Okay. So I like the characters. And it was very dreamlike, very surreal. A little bit of um, maybe Silent Hill, and it reminded me a lot of this really good book called House of Leaves. And if you ever read the book, oh, then you'll, fuck you. you'll, you'll understand where the similarities are. Go to hell! What I didn't like about it, it lags. The movie, the, the whole plot kind of moves and fits and starts. It's you know, It starts off pretty good, and then it just kind of it has moments where I was a little bored, but I, I didn't fast forward through it, and I watched it from beginning to end in one sitting, which for me says a lot, because I'm kind of ADD. So it, it's boring in places, but the boring parts don't last too long. And my big beef, though, was with the ending. Um, once the movie gets going, it puts the characters in kind of a little bit of an offbeat situation, and I was hoping the ending would also be unconventional. Unfortunately, the ending was pretty standard. I don't like where this is going. Which disappointed me a little bit. Okay. But all in all, I liked it. I mean, it's not a home run, but it's, you know, it's hearing that it's a direct-to-DVD found footage movie of people in a haunted house doesn't automatically turn you off. You should like it. It was creepy. It was, you know, it got under my skin and had some really, I like the premise. So, Grave Encounters, eh, marginal thumbs up. Emotional. That's it for now. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> uh, I snorted. Trey, I just thought it was funny how you journeyed from home. As I saw this horror movie that I really enjoyed to the end. It's, yeah, it's a marginal recommend. <laughs> you talked yourself down. 
Okay, Grave Encounters, I heard of. That was actually playing in Tribeca. I covered some of the movies at Tribeca Film Festival last, I guess, April, whenever the hell they have it. But that was not one of the ones I got to see. However, a listener uh, just sent me a copy of that. Sean from the More Horror Than Horror podcast sent me a Christmas package full of about 80,000 hours worth of horror movie goodness and probably some horror movie really badness too. But I want to thank him for that. Uh, that is That was a generous thing to do. And he... <laughs> And Grave Encounters is in there, and that is one of the ones I'm dying to see. There, are so, there was so much in this package, I can't even remember what else was in it right now. I think 11, 11, 11 was in it, and uh, the Friday the 13th remake, as I actually enjoyed that. I'm one of the six people I got a kick out of it. But you know what? That's not what we're talking about right now. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fucking House of Leaves. I fucking hated that book. That book made me angry. I was intrigued. You know, if, if you don't know what book I'm talking about, just turn this off right now because you don't want to know what book I'm talking about because it's evil. I appreciate, you know, a Chinese puzzle box of a book. I appreciate the style changes that were going on. I appreciate all that mishmash that was going on. But after a while, I just wanted to kill everybody because I'm one of those people. I remember I was reading it when I was working on a movie and so you're spending hours and hours in holding, and there was a certain, you know, it got to the part where there were these long letters or diary entries that were written in code. I was sitting there for hours breaking the code. And after a while, I'm just like, I don't care anymore. I just don't care anymore. And then when I had like two chapters left, somebody stole the book. I was on set, and somebody took the book after I left it in holding. So I said, you know what? Fuck this book. Fuck everybody involved in this book. And fuck you, Trey. Fuck you for making me relive all this. And on Christmas, too. Oh, no, Trey. Not on Christmas. Not on Christmas. God, you, you know what? It is time to wrap this puppy up for another week. Thank you, Trey. Trey broke the show this time. Why can't I ever leave on a peaceful, happy note? What is that about? Anyway, I want to give a huge thank you to everybody called in this week. And if you want to be like those cool people, you could give me a call at 347-767-3509. Or you can send me an email at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens with a Z. You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. Or you can buy a t-shirt. Hopefully by this time, the tab on the webpage to give you the ability to buy an official Scream Queens t-shirt will finally be functional, Mr. Brad. So you can give yourself some post-holiday cheer and put me on your boobs for just $20. Yay! Anyway, I want to thank all of you for an incredible year, for another incredible year. As you can see, I'm feeling a hell of a lot better now. And it's thanks to you guys doing the show for you. My friends out there, my little second or third family, I guess you are, just brings me joy. Non-ironic joy, no matter how that just sounded. So everybody out there, just be safe this holiday season. Take care of yourself. Don't go too crazy. If you go too crazy, please take video for me. Thank you. I would appreciate that. So until 2012, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, Boy, I know the song says to don your gay apparel. But I don't think they meant stick and mistletoe up there. Bye! I go hunting for witches. Hey, 
Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs> Hey, Screamers. Um, as I promised, I wanted to do a little outro regarding Joe from Cincy. Um, you know, some of you may know who have been following on Facebook. Joe's partner, Frank, passed away early last week. And um, I was shocked by it. And a lot of the responses that I've gotten from listeners have been very supportive. And I hope you guys have been reaching out to him as well. Uh, he needs a whole lot of love right now. You, you, When I was going through all this trouble earlier in the year with my sister, um, I was overwhelmed by the love and 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 just concern and all those and all the good energy that you guys put out for me and now Joe needs that too. I like to think of us as a little family here at Scream Queens. So one of our queens is in trouble, so send Joe some love or a prayer or whatever it is you can afford or not not afford, but you know what I mean. Um Joe I'm glad I got to meet Frank at Horrorhound Weekend, even though it was only for a couple of minutes. Uh, I had to say, just in that short amount of time, I did really like him because the little taste I got of his personality, that boy was wicked in a fun way. And had we gone out to hang out, I think it would have been a great time. But alas, that was not to be. But I can see why you picked him. And I just want to let you know, Joe, you're not alone. I love you. We all love you, and what an awful, I don't know if there's a good time of the year for this to happen, to lose someone like that, but right now, ouch. So, extra big hugs to you, Joe, and uh, as we go out, this was a song that we performed at my concert this last week, and actually, I was thinking of you and Frank during it. Uh, This recording was not actually from that day, this is earlier, a couple of years ago, when we sang it with Shoshana Bean. It's her song anyway, so... um, the audio is not great and it has a really abrupt start, but, um, well, my heart's in it. Joe, this is for you. With much, much love. Climb down chimney to the house of love. You Keep on.